Welcome to the Vanguard Trilex Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. As a kid, I would always watch on Easter Sunday. Do you guys remember this this image? Anybody ever see this? On Easter Sunday on ABC, they always had this movie. Do you remember this movie? You know what the movie is called? It's right, The Ten Commandments, and this is Charlton Heston, and he would say, Pharaoh, let my people go. Right, and he had this big, deep, giant voice, and like when I was a kid, I would try it. I would try to get my Mufasa on, you know, like try to get that deep voice and see if I could make it work. Let my people go, right? See how long you could hold it out? This story always just impressed me and amazed me because I, I didn't really understand the whole Jesus thing. I didn't understand the God thing, but I understood that this guy stood in front of a body of water, put his staff out, and the, the, the waters parted, and they walked across the Red Sea, and I just thought, that's some incredible CGI. I don't know how they did that, but that's pretty awesome, right? And so growing up as a kid, I would see that, and I would think that's pretty amazing. And that's because God is in the barrier-breaking business. Come on, somebody. God is a barrier-breaker. We are going to talk today about the barriers of faith, the barriers of belief, the thing that stand between our humanity and faith in Jesus Christ. So today, as we talk through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look deeply into his life. In fact, we've been doing that all this calendar year in 2022. We've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew. And what's been awesome is we've been, we've been spending a lot of close personal time with Jesus here in our services. And I don't know about you, but when you really get close to Jesus, especially in the way that Matthew depicts him, the man was wild. Like they were on a wild ride, these 12 disciples that followed Jesus, because he did things that broke barriers. He broke all kinds of barriers. Jesus wanted for no man to stand above another. This was really important to him. He wanted us to understand we have to get rid of this hierarchy. We're all equal in God's sight. He wanted, he wanted for women and children to be honored and respected and valued. Jesus would stoop low to look into the eyes of a young person and to show value to them. And when people would belittle women in their culture, Jesus was always standing up for him. That's who he was. This ruffled feathers. Jesus wanted faith to be accessible to the educated and the common folk. In his day, religion was for the professionals. Everybody else came and kowtowed to the professional religious people just in order to be right with God. Jesus said, nah, bruh, that's not going to stand. We're not going to do that. Jesus became persona non grata. He became public enemy number one. In the spirit of Bon Jovi, he was wanted. Come on, somebody sing it. Okay. They were, you, you went to the verse. You're just supposed to go to the chorus. Dead or alive, right? And this was, this was Jesus, right? In the spirit of Bon Jovi, he was wanted, dead, or alive. And in fact, they got him dead. They killed him. Uh, but even still, Jesus was a barrier breaker. Uh, and Easter is the story of the greatest barrier that's ever stood being broken for good and forever. I'm talking about the barrier that stood between God's holiness and our humanity, our sinfulness, 
our inability to keep up with who God is and his holiness. He spelled out over 600 laws in the Old Testament just to show us the great distance that stood between our humanity and his holiness. That's a barrier. And Jesus broke that barrier with the cross of Jesus Christ, okay? We love barriers in our culture. Have you noticed this? We have never been more diverse and more divided as a culture. Wouldn't you say that's true? Uh, We have racial barriers. We have cultural barriers. We have um, professional barriers. In other words, I do this job, therefore I'm better than you, and there's a barrier between us. Uh, We have relational barriers. We have political barriers. Come on, we've never been more divided or more polarized right now than we are politically, right? Uh, We have economic barriers, money makes differences. And then we have musical barriers. And the reason I say that is because I grew up on hip hop. I love hip hop, but I'm sorry. I'm not gonna enter into mumble rap. I'm not gonna do it, okay? Young people, I won't do it. It's a barrier for me. I don't understand what they're talking about, okay? Um, So... Anyway, we have all kinds of barriers, all kinds of barriers, uh, but some of the most impactful barriers are the religious barriers that we all experience. Think about all the different people that believe all the different things across the world. That's a barrier. And barriers are good. They're not always a bad thing. They do a good job of keeping the dangers of the world out of a protected space. So if you think if you put gate up, a gate up in front of your house or a moat in front of a castle, what's it doing? It's keeping danger out. But if you were being held ransom in that same building, then it's keeping safety out, right? It's keeping freedom out. So it does a good job of keeping uh, the bad things out, but it also keeps the good things away. We put up barriers all the time. So if you know me, you know that I send a lot of text messages. I love to text. And so about four weeks ago, I sent a text to all of the people on the Vanguard Tri-Lakes text message list. If you're not on it, I'd love to add you, okay? Um, (laughs) And I asked this question. What is the hardest part of the Christian belief system to believe? What's the hardest part of the Christian belief system to believe? I got some great answers, and I'm going to kind of sprinkle them in throughout the sermon. Here's some of them. Uh, That God sees us as righteous and loves us when we trust in Jesus. That I can't earn it. That it's through faith alone. And this makes a lot of sense to me, and maybe it does to you. If you ask someone who doesn't know the Lord, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. I asked a guy I play tennis with. I said, Mike, um, if you were standing at the gates of heaven, why would Jesus let you in? Have you ever heard that question before? Why would Jesus let you in? And he said, well, I do a lot of good things. I give people discounts on their windows when they're broken. Um, I, I do a lot of good for people, and so I feel like that I should get into heaven. That's the way we think, right? If you do enough good, then when you get to heaven, you can say, Lord, look at my list. But Jesus says, your list doesn't matter, right? It's not about you. It's not about the good you did. It's about your trust in the good that Jesus did, right? That's the idea. So that's a barrier. A lot of people can't get through that one. How about this one? To trust God, sorry, to trust God's timing when it doesn't align with our emergent needs. In other words, when you're in a hard moment, things are going tough and you go, Lord, I need help right now. Where are you? That makes it really hard to trust in Jesus, right? This is one that Dana wrote in. She said that Jesus turned water into wine. She put in parentheses, I want him to do that more often. Um, And so pray for my wife. Um, (laughs) uh, How about this one? That Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
that Jesus is the only way to heaven. A lot of us have a hard time to believe that, right? That's a barrier for our belief. So we're going to talk about this, barriers for belief. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions right here at the top. And I want you, honestly, if you just wander off in thought thinking about these questions, then I've done my job, okay? It's fine with me if you don't listen to the rest of it. But make sure you listen to these questions because I believe the Lord can meet you in these questions. You ready? Here it is. What's keeping you, not anybody else, but keeping you from trusting in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. I think it's interesting, by the way, that people, when they talk about Jesus, they call him their Lord and Savior. You ever hear that? I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it's important that we get the order right. He's our Savior. We accept his salvation. And now comes the hard part. He becomes our Lord. That's the hard part, right? Savior's easy. Jesus did all the work. Cool. I receive forgiveness. Lord, that means I've got to follow you. That means I've got to trust you. That means my life belongs to you. What's keeping you from trusting him as your Lord and your Savior? What's keeping you from following him? What's keeping you from giving your heart to him? What are your barriers for belief? That's what we're going to talk about today. You with me? Okay, so the first one, the first barrier, there's five of these that we're going to talk about, is not a barrier for our belief, but it was a huge barrier for the disciples, and that is the cross, the cross. Why? Because the disciples, the most fascinating thing about reading through the Gospels is that the disciples totally did not understand anything that was going on while they were following Jesus. They were totally lost. They had a totally different idea of what Jesus was attempting to accomplish. They thought that he was this revolutionary political leader, that he had come from God through the, through the lineage of David to become the new king of Israel. He was going to be the rescue that they had been hoping for. They were under Roman captivity for all these years, and they were sick of it. And so they thought, this is our answer. Jesus is the way out. So when they put him on a cross and they killed him and he died and they watched him breathe his last breath, that for them was a huge barrier for belief. It's not for us. The cross for them represented death, finality, defeat. The disciples watched this barrier for belief successfully kill their leader, Jesus. It happened in Matthew 27. Uh, verse 50, it says this, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. That's a barrier for them. They watched the death of their false hope. So for, the cro- for us, the cross is not a barrier, it's a bridge. And again, this is the idea, humanity, holiness, Jesus right? That's the bridge. How do we get to the place where we can be accepted before the Lord? Only through the blood of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That's why Easter is so powerful. Amen? Amen. So here's some of your answers. This is interesting because I think what happened, uh, if you really pay attention to what the disciples did, is they picked and chose parts of the message that they liked, and they got rid of the stuff they didn't. Don't anybody say amen, but do you do that? right? Come on, do you read the Bible and sometimes you go, "Mm, I don't like that verse, but I love this verse. Put this on the bumper sticker, put this on the refrigerator, right? Like for example, this this is one of the answers that I got about what is a barrier. How about this one? How can God be good when all I see around me is pain? How can God be good when all I see around me is pain? First of all, I would, I would ask the question, I would interrogate this thought and say, all you see is pain? Is that all you see? I agree. 
Pain is real, and it's in the world. But is it all you see? Look around at your family. Look around at your friends. Look around at, go stare at Pike's Peak, okay? And ask yourself if all you see is pain. And then the second question I would say is, have you misunderstood an idea about what Christianity is? A lot of people quote Romans 8, 28, and they say, all things work together for my good. And then they come face to face with pain, and they go, Ugh. I thought all things were going to work together for my good. Right, that's because you didn't read the Bible. <laughs> the Bible says this, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to whose purposes? His purposes. So the idea there is that if it's not good yet, it means that God's not finished yet, right? If you're in the middle of a hard moment, a hard season, it means he, he ain't done. He's still working and he's working for your good, for the good of those who love the Lord. So uh, this is another one that I think is so interesting. People ask this question, how can I be truly forgiven? This is a barrier for me. I mean, I've done a lot of bad things. I've done things that my family have not forgiven me for. I've done things that I refuse to forgive myself for, right? And, you know, I think about the role of the enemy in our lives. You know that line from Usual Suspects where Kaiser Soze says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he never existed, right? The devil is real. Just like the Lord is real, the devil is real. Now, I, don't, I try not to listen to him very much, but his job is he is the accuser of the brethren. You like the fire? It's like serious. You know what I'm saying? That's a serious moment. The accuser of the brethren. When I'm counseling someone, when I'm sitting with someone who's just going through a hard thing and they're having, they're really being hard on themselves, like Jonah, if I were sitting with you and you were like, man, I just, I, I just suck. I hate everything I do in life. I just, I'm, I'm the worst. I would say to Jonah, Jonah, would you be nice to my friend Jonah? Would you please be nice to him? I love my friend Jonah. Stop being so hard on my friend Jonah, right? Why? Because you are doing the devil's job for him. Stop doing that. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. Don't help him do his job. Somebody say amen. amen. I learned this the hard way. <laughs> About 10, 12 years ago, I got invited to be a, 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 a singer, songwriter on this uh, Songwriters in the Round event in Nashville. I just signed my uh, songwriting contract with Integrity Records, and they invited me to come and stand on the stage, a couple thousand people in this big auditorium in Nashville, with six other luminary songwriters and artists. And when I read who else was on the list, I almost said, no, no, I don't want to do it. I shouldn't be on this list, right? These are people that have written incredible songs, incredible vocalists, incredible musicians, and me. And I was like, oh, man, I don't belong here. I remember I was in the green room with all these people. And they know each other, right? So they're like hobnobbing. They're like, hey, remember that time we were in Seattle and we had the coffee and we did the thing? Ha, ha, ha. And I was like, I've never been to Seattle. I don't like coffee, you know? And so <laughs> I just felt so left out, right? And, and, and I just, the whole time I was sitting there in the green room by myself, they're hanging out. We're about to go on the stage. And I felt like I heard the voice of the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. And he said, who do you think you are? Like, do you really think that you belong on that stage with those people? Dude, you should just like get in your car and drive away. You don't belong, you're nothing. You don't belong on that stage. And I was like, Lord, you gotta help me. He's making some great points. You know, like he's really got a good argument. 
I felt like the Lord said, go and do it. So I'm out there. I literally remember my hands shaking from fear. This guy gets up there and he sings this song. And when I tell you it was the best song I've ever heard in my life, like I was just like, okay, well, that's a song. Like the thing I do is not songwriting, that's songwriting. Then this other lady gets up and she plays this song. People are weeping in the room. Five people got saved. People are passing out from the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, oh. And then they go, okay, and Richie Fike. And people are like, oh, I don't, I don't know him. Do you, do you know him? I don't know him. You know? And so I get up there and I was like, hey, 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 everybody. And I, I talked about this song I'd written called Grace. And I played the song and something incredible happened. By the time we got to the second chorus, everybody in the room stood up and they were singing the song and they were just like super into it. I looked behind me and everybody on the platform, all these luminaries had stood up and they were worshiping to the song. And I was just like, what is going on? This is crazy, you know? And so I get done with the song and I sit down there. The guys on the stage are giving me a standing ovation and I'm just like red from embarrassment, you know? And I sit down and the enemy starts chirping other side this time. And he says, you're really quite something. Like you really, I don't know if you know this, but they're lucky to have you on this platform. In fact, your song's better than their songs. Like you're better than what they did. They're lucky that you're here. People start coming up to me after the, after the concert and they ask me for my phone number. I'd love to write with you. And I just hear the enemy just going, dude, you are it, bro. You have arrived, you know? And I got in my car and I realized that they're both lies. You know, I looked at the Lord when he was telling me all that. And I said, Lord, he's making some great points again. Like I'm really, I'm really it. Like I am it, you know, but the Lord, the Lord was like, listen, they're both lies. You're not nothing, right? I saved you for a reason. I gave you grace. I died on the cross for a reason. I gave my life for you. You are, you matter. However, you're not the best thing since sliced bread. Okay. You are not the salvation of the earth. That's my job right? And so what I'm saying to you is the enemy would love for you to believe that A, it's all about you, or B, you suck. Both are false, and both are kind of true, <laughs> right? <laughs> because the Lord died, he gave his life for you because he expects you to go and share life with the world, amen? So the cross represented for the disciples the death of false hope. What the cross represents for us is the birth of new life. It's awesome. So the question I would ask you is, are you trying to fit the Bible into your paradigm or are you willing to find your way into the Bible's paradigm? Do you fit in God's pocket or is he supposed to fit into yours, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. This is a guy who's not one of the 12, but he's been kind of following along and he's got some money. Verse 58, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. This is interesting to me. As you study Matthew and you read about Pontius Pilate, he's kind of framed as this, this like evil tyrant. But the truth is Pilate couldn't care less one way or the other about Jesus. When they brought Jesus to him, Pilate was like, I mean, okay, if you want me to kill him, I'll kill him. I mean, if you guys will settle down, if that'll settle you down, great. He had nothing against Jesus. He asked Jesus, so who are you? And Jesus was like, who do 
you say I am? And Pilate's like, I don't care that much. So, you know, whatever. Like, I guess you'll die. And so they killed him. And then this guy comes to Pilate and says, can I have his body? And Pilate's like, I mean, yeah, here, take the body. There's no, there's no pushback. Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Verse 59, and Joseph took the body. He wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. I think that's fascinating. This guy went through the trouble of building a tomb for Jesus Christ. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now listen, I know I've already said some things about how Jesus loved the women and he did, but where are the men? Where are the disciples? They scattered like roaches with the lights cut on. The moment that they arrested Jesus, here are the women with their faith intact, with their belief intact, loving and believing that Jesus was coming back in three days. Where are the men? I don't know. Look at the women. I think that's incredible. All right, so the second barrier for belief is this, the grave. The grave, that's a barrier for belief. Why? Because what does a graveyard represent? When you think about a graveyard, what does it represent? Anybody, what does it represent? Death. Sorrow, sure. Uh, why do we bury the dead and honor their life? Why do we designate a physical location for an absent soul? Uh, a grave is the embodiment of the end, right? On the tombstone, you have date of birth, dash, date of death, beginning, middle, end, right? It means finality. The cross was a barrier for false hope. The stone was a barrier for forward progress. Have you ever... Um, seen a dead body. I don't mean to be crude when I say that, but have you ever gone to like a funeral and seen a loved one, someone you really cared about, uh, and looked down at their, at their, you know, at their carcass, at their empty body, and look at them and go, that doesn't look like him. That doesn't look like her. That's, I mean, wow. I mean, they tried. I see what they did there, right? I see how they tried, but that's not my friend. Because man, life, when it's gone from the body, It's such a difference. Have you noticed that? Have you seen that? The grave represented the end of forward progress. For these guys, when they put Jesus in the tomb, it meant, well, that's the end of the story. I guess that's how it ended. I guess that's how it's all gonna be. It's over. Look at verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember how the imposter they're talking about Jesus, said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. This is fascinating to me. The religious leaders, the ones who have uh, Christianity or or God's religion in a chokehold, they heard everything that Jesus had to say. And they're gonna do their best to prevent him from living out his promise. After three days, I will rise. Verse 64, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And here's Pilate, just once again, okay. Pilate says to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Barriers for belief. Here's the third one, the guards. Now, who, uh, who, who is the one that asked for the guards? The religious leadership, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. Why did they do this? Because they were more interested in protecting the institution of their religion than the people of God. 
Now, here we are in 2022 in a moment in American church history where all of us are at least a little bit aware of how churches have abused their power, right? And we have seen how leaders in the church have worked and efforted to protect the institution of the church instead of the people of God. And this is such a beautiful moment of exactly that. Jesus had come to overthrow the religious leaders' chokehold on the kingdom of God. They were more concerned with protecting the institution than serving the people. So I asked the question, what are some of your barriers for belief? Here's some of your answers. How can I trust in Jesus when his church is so screwed up? Anybody resonate with that? The worst part about Christianity is... Christians. I would hope that the best part about Christianity is also Christians, but come on, this is true. Every time I open my timeline, I see another defamed pastor exposed as a fraud. So this barrier is the guards. And you're going to be hearing in the next weeks and months from Vanguard Church. Uh, you're going to hear something that we've been working on for months now behind the scenes. We, instead of taking a reactive approach to where we're going to point at all the people that made mistakes, we are making an effort by writing a letter that communicates to churches in our area that we, Vanguard Church, will never, ever ask someone to be silenced by our church. We will never ask someone to sign an NDA. We will never say to them, we're going to seal your story behind a stone. We will never do that. And so we're asking churches in this area to sign a letter that says the same thing, that we will not protect the institution. We will protect the people of God. Amen. amen. So, amen, yeah. So I just make this statement just so you can hear it loud and clear. Vanguard Trilakes will never protect our church by silencing a victim. We will never seal the tomb of our mistakes. Now that's not to say, just so you know, that we're gonna go around and tell your story. If something happened in your life or if something happens under the roof of our church, if something awful happens. You know, someone asked me a couple weeks ago, so are you trying to convince me that Vanguard Trilakes is safe? And I said, no, no, let me be very clear. We are filled with sinners. Our church is filled with sinful people, fallible, broken people, and I cannot promise you safety. I can promise you as the pastor that I'm gonna do my best to ward off threats, right, to get rid of the wolves. I'm gonna do my best to care for the people under my watch, but I can't promise you that harm isn't gonna come to you because that's the world we live in. When it happens, we will not silence your story. That's the, that's the point. So the guards represented the stench of fearful control. That's a huge barrier for belief. Even now in the religious world that we live in, where people are trying to protect the institution instead of the people, we have to be the kind of people that are looking out for the little guy. Um, there's, there's a movement happening, happening in the world of Christianity that I think is fascinating. I'm not sure if I'm pro or, or anti, but it's called deconstructionalism. Uh, Zoomers and millennials are big, big, big into deconstructionalism. There might be some of you here in the room that would say, I'm in the middle of a season where I'm deconstructing what I've been taught about Christianity, what I've been taught about God, what I've been taught about church. And by the way, some of the things that you've been taught could be because you weren't really listening like you weren't listening very well. Some of the things that you've been taught were taught because somebody abused their position, their authority as a leader. Some of the things that you're deconstructing are things that you just sort of assumed were true. That's good. Here's what's bad. 
don't throw the Bible out with your deconstructionism. Don't throw the Bible out with the bathwater. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the problem is we need to get rid of our churchianity and enter into our Christianity. And if you don't trust in Christianity, then you're missing the point. Believe in the Bible, trust in the Bible. You got questions about God, it's in the book. And if you can't make sense of it, go find someone who knows the Bible a little better than you and ask them questions. God is not afraid of your questions, amen? Okay, so the guards represented the stench of fearful control. Now we get to the good stuff. Who's ready for the good stuff? Anybody ready for the good stuff? Okay, here's the good stuff. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, again, the ladies, are at the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and I love this detail, and sat on it. Can you just see that picture? Like he rolls the stone away, and there's this little angel, you know, is going, hey, guys. There's nobody in there. Just want you to know. There's nobody in there. Verse 3, it says, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. That's something that I would love to underline, circle, highlight, put that in your Bible. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Verse 7 says, then go quickly and tell his disciples, those guys that scrambled, those guys that stopped believing, those guys that didn't understand everything that Jesus was saying, go find those guys and tell them that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb. And I love this juxtaposition with fear and with joy, reverence and joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they, they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And verse 10, it says, then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Jesus is breaking another barrier by crossing through this moment, by, by overturning the tomb, by rolling the stone away. And the barrier that he's breaking is the rules. God loves to break the rules. He never breaks God's law, but he always breaks the rules. This is who he is. So again, your questions, your answers. What are some of the barriers for you? The virgin birth, that one gets me every time. Lazarus, why him? Why just him? Healing and miracles, it's hard for me to believe in them today. I like to think of miracles as rules broken. If you think of it, like, for example, our little guy, Judah, uh, we prayed for him. He, we were told he was only going to have uh, one kidney. We prayed that the Lord would multiply his kidney. The Lord gave him like a super mega, like dinosaur kidney. He's got this gigantor kidney. The Lord multiplied it. That's a rule broken. God breaks the rules. Jesus never broke God's law, but he often broke the rules. And I think Jesus says to us, rules are made to be broken. Like when he parted the sea, that's a rule broken. When he spoke through a burning bush, that's a rule broken, right? When he told those guys to walk around the walls of Jericho and shout and the walls would come down, that's a rule broken. Dana, when uh, he turned water into wine, <laughs> come on, that's a rule broken. And every Sunday, the Lord speaks through an ass. That is a rule. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the, I don't know how that picture got there. <laughs> the rules represent the bounds of the forces of nature, right? The rules represent the bounds of the forces of nature. Jesus breaks right through them. Praise God. Look at this. Now, verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, 
11, not 12, 11. Judas is gone. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, man, verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When they saw him, they worshiped him. You want to have kind of a definition of what worship is? When we see him, we worship him, right? And look at this little phrase that Matthew included for us. What a kindness that he would include this for us. They saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. What's a barrier for for your belief? The doubt. We still have doubt. I know that there are people in this room, by the way, myself included, that some of the things that we are taught to believe about Jesus and understand about the Bible, there's just doubt in our hearts and our minds. Sometimes it can be a barrier that keeps us from believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That's totally normal. Your doubt is not offensive to God. Your doubt is not an affront to God. Your doubt is welcome before God. He says, ask me your questions. Bring to me your doubt. Let me know what it is that you're troubled by. You know, the great, the great hymn writer who wrote, It Is Well With My Soul, said this, and Lord, haste the day when my faith will be made sight. I think what she means when she says that is that when you get to heaven, there will be no faith. There'll be no need for it. Here on earth, we need faith. Up in heaven, it'll be facts, right? It'll be truth. It'll be reality. It'll be the glory of God unfolding before our eyes in perpetuity. That's what heaven is. So here on earth, we need faith, but there in heaven, we won't need it. John, uh, in the gospel of John, Jesus said this. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen. That's everybody in this room and have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. It says they saw him, they worshiped him, but they doubted him. I don't think any of us can, can even scarce imagine what it's gonna be like in heaven when we are staring at the glory of Jesus forever and ever and we never get bored of it. We never get so used to it, so inured by it that we just, okay, is there anything else up here? Like, it's not gonna be that way. We're gonna be so amazed by God. Just yesterday, we were driving on I-25 south down towards Colorado Springs, and there's that little turnoff where you can get off and take a selfie with Pikes Peak, you know? Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? And I saw five or six cars. None of them had Colorado license plates. They were all Texas, Idaho, California. Like, I looked over, no Colorado plates. Why? Because we see that mountain every day. When's the last time, maybe some of you are super nature nerds and you go, dude, I do, I do this every day. I stare at the mountain for 35 minutes every day. But most of us just drive by Pikes Peak and we go, ha ha, looks good. Uh, so check my text messages and what else is going on in my life, right? When's the last time that you stood in awe of Pikes Peak and went, gosh, it is so beautiful. What a joy. What a blessing to live in this place, right? Now imagine heaven, Right? Imagine heaven. Imagine if, if, hev- if this is Pike's Peak and it's so beautiful and so glorious and you could look at it for a solid 20 minutes. Imagine heaven never getting tired of the glory of God. That's what the cross did for us. That's what the cross did. It made a way for us to experience God. So I just want to tell you that your doubt represents the facts of your, of your frail humanity and it's not a threat to God. Your, your doubt is welcome in this church. Your doubt is welcome in this community. Ask your questions. Confront the Bible. Read it. Ask, ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? Those are good questions. All right, so this is the last one. After Jesus has appeared to them, after he has risen from the grave, he's broken the rules of science, and here he is before them. He leaves them with one word. 
one mission. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if your big boss, the CEO of your company, walks into your office and says, uh, so listen, I own the company. All authority has been given to me. Whatever he says next is really important, right? When you kind of lean in, what, what are you going to say to me, big boss? This is what Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. Right? I wish it was called the Great Co-Mission. I wish that's how it, written, it, it was written, but there's two M's and it doesn't work. It looks silly. Um, but the Great Co-Mission, the idea is that we are on mission with God. Now, why is this a barrier? Why is the mission a barrier? Because many of us in this room are not doing it. Many of us in this room are not living out the Great Commission. Many of us have accepted the lordship or the salvation of Jesus Christ, and we stop. Thank you. See you in heaven. You have a dash, that little dash between the day you were born and the day you die. The greatest gift Jesus ever gave us was salvation. He gave his life for us. He took on our sin and our shame, and he said, I'll take all of it so that they can have all of me. The second greatest gift he gave us was participation in the kingdom of God. He says, you get to be a part of what I'm doing on the earth. What a kindness that your life could matter more than anything else you do because you live your eternity right now. That dash could either be, you know, your temporary sort of finite life or it could represent the beginning of your eternity. You are God's method for God's mission. You are. It's crazy to think about, but that's why it's a barrier because we don't live it out. And so my challenge to you as your pastor this Easter Sunday is that you would not just receive the goodness of God and say, thank you, see you in heaven, or look away from the glory of God, but that you would receive the grace, the glory, the goodness, and the mission of God, and that you would go live out your faith so that no one would ever say that the worst thing about Christianity is Christians, that they would say the best thing about Christianity is Christians. Have you met my buddy John? Have you met my buddy Matt? This guy loves God. Man, he's told me about Jesus in a way that I never understood it before. That's the idea. So I'm gonna give you a little challenge this week in your personal devotion. Uh, I want you to go back and read what we read today, Matthew 27 and Matthew 28. And I want you to take a highlighter or a pen and circle, highlight, underline. Every time you see these three words, go, tell, and see. And I want, the, I want you to ask the Lord what he has to say to you about these three words, okay? All throughout this passage, when I was writing it, I underlined like 50 of these. Go, tell, see. Go, tell, see. Here's one of them. All authority has been given to me, therefore, go, right? The Lord has all the authority, and he says go. So, Jesus broke through every barrier. He conquered the cross. He took it on. That was your cross. That was my cross, he took it on. He conquered the grave. He died the death that we deserve. And then he conquered it. He conquered those guards at the door that were trying to, you know, hold on tight that the institutionalism of religion, he said, I'm, I got something better. He conquered the rules of this world. He defies, he confounds. That's who he is. He has conquered our doubt and he continues to do so if you'll let him. And if you will participate, we can conquer the barrier of unbelief in the world by partnering with Jesus and his mission in the world. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, we are so grateful uh, that you are a barrier breaker. 
and that you invite us to participate in the mission of barrier breaking. I bet you right now, every person in this room, if not themselves, could think of someone in their life who is far from you, someone in their life who doesn't know you, who has never met you, who has never broken through their own barriers of disbelief or doubt to come to know who you are. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would feel the gumption, the Holy Spirit gumption to speak up and to say, I know something about this Jesus that I've got to share with you, that he loves you, that he came and he died for you, that he overcame the grave for you, and that his resurrection represents our resurrection. We were once dead, and now because of the work of Jesus, we are alive in him. I pray that you would give us an opportunity in the next week to take a moment and speak up, to invite, to invite someone into our lives, invite someone into the story that we've understood about who you are, to invite someone into the truth of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.